0: Well, kia ora, hello, and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Hi, if we've not met, I am Jacinda, less famous, but that's okay. I have a whole lot less pressure. Uh, We're going to jump straight into James 3 this morning. We are in the middle of a series. If this is your first Sunday with us online or whether you're here in the room, uh, we are exploring the book of James and looking at all of the input and advice that he has for us around how to live our lives in authentic fashion. So we've called it Authentic Living. Today, we're looking at James 3 verses 1 to 12. Now, have you ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Oh, what a lie. I- isn't it? It's just like this widely dispersed piece of rubbish that gets said all over the I've heard that phrase all over the world, and yet we know that actually sticks and stones, we can recover from those kind of injuries. Some of the injuries inflicted upon us by the words that are spoken to us, we may never recover from. Or it might take a really long time. And that is some of what James wants to address when he's talking to us in these verses of his letter to the church. He is, uh, is t- reminding us that what we say, the words that we both hear as well as what we say, have power in them, don't they? Stop and think for a minute. Have you ever been on the receiving end of someone being super critical or negative or that put, put, has put you down. For example, I had an art teacher at school. Teachers, man, they have huge influence in their lives, don't they? An art teacher, I was about 13 or 14, and this was when you know, you're at high school and you're sort of dabbling, trying to figure out, okay, what am, what am I good at? What am I made for? You know, that sort of thing. And I did, I did art. And uh, he one day, bless his heart, took my picture, held it up in front of the whole class, as you do, and told them all of the things that were wrong with it and how this was an example of what not to do. I know, I know. And so I just curled up on the inside, you know, curled up in this little ball and thought, I am not artistic. I am not creative. Obviously, this is not for me. On the flip side, have you ever experienced people who have encouraged you who have spoken life, who have seen the things that are in you and they speak to it and they kind of draw it out and they kind of affirm you and they, you know, that all of that. Have, have you experienced any of that? Yeah. So I had another teacher about the same time who was my history teacher. And he was really, really passionate about his subject in such a way that it kind of pulled you in as he would teach you. This was back in the day when, you know, that you didn't have laptops. You had to take notes by hand. So you get cramp in your fingers as you're trying to furiously write down all the notes. So he would like put up all the notes on the whiteboard or the blackboard or the OHP. There are people in the room going, what? What is this thing? Anyway... But he saw that I was coming alive as I was listening to his teaching on history, and he would encourage that. He would sort of he could he would just engage with me over that. We would talk, he would go, man, I love you know how you're doing this. I went on to study history at university and into my masters. The difference it makes. Words. They have power. They can bring us alive or they can crush us. And this is what James is wanting to draw our attention to. His whole focus of his letter is all about inviting people, exhorting people, encouraging people, challenging people, us, not just the people that read his letter back then, to take our faith seriously. He was all really interested in personal spiritual development and a robust and rich and vital congregational life. And that's the tone that you're going to hear as we read his words. So words matter. And so he is. this whole little chunk that we're about to read is all about taming the tongue. Taming the tongue, this little, 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 little part of our bodies that has tremendous power. It has the power of life and death within it. Why don't we pray as we jump in? So Father, we are so very grateful for your presence here with us. Thank you that you have made us, that you have given us this ability to speak life. But Lord, we recognize the challenge that there is in this tiny little piece of our body as well. God, we, we realize, we recognize, we admit, we confess that we don't always say things that are helpful or kind or beneficial. And so Lord, as we reflect on your word this morning, I just pray that you would come and that you would strike us again, capture us again of what a life lived with you in this area of our lives could look like. And that you would do the work within us that could transform this part of our lives. In your wonderful name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, break it out, even if it's on your phone, or we'll have the verses come up on the screen. So this is James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly we all stumble in many ways. Don't you love that? He's sort of, this is, please hear, this is a man who was a pastor. He was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he really cares about people. So this is not some judgmental critical thing. This is him coming alongside and saying, we all stumble. We do. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil. That's confronting, isn't it? He's not holding back, is James? A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures have been tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Wowza. Do you think about that? Like when you say hello to someone? With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. (sighs) He's not really holding back here, is he? But he's trying to get our attention with really graphic imagery of how this really small thing that we can maybe just not even really think about has this massive influence and power in our lives and in the lives of the people we do life with. And so he's kind of using images to kind of really capture our attention. So let's just consider a few things as we go. First of all, my words will determine my direction. Like a bit... In the horse's mouth or a rudder of a ship. Small but influential. In verses 3 to 5. there are these small things that set the direction of either the, this powerful animal or this powerful uh, ship that is you know, navigating and, and dealing with all of the winds and all of the, the conditions at sea. In the same way, words direct our lives. Brene Brown, who is an American um, speaker, author, philosopher, uh, social worker, I can't remember what field she does that in now, but anyway, she's written a bunch of books, and one of the things she talks about is, is that we each have a story that we tell ourselves, that is formed by our experiences, by our interactions with other people, and those stories create our reality. That's how powerful they are. They create the reality that we both live out of and that we live into. The words that we say create the stories that we tell ourselves and they can have tremendous influence in our lives and it, it affects our sense of identity, it affects the things that we think we're good at. For example, I'm rubbish at art because that was the language I started to use and started to tell myself, well, I can't do creative things. If anyone would invite me into something, I'm, oh, no, I'm not good at that. Wouldn't ever try again because of the fear of, you know, being held up as an example of what not to do all over again. (laughs) Once in a lifetime, I think, is enough. But that's the power of words. It shapes who we think we are. It shapes the kind of life that we believe that we should be living. And so words matter. They determine my direction. And so we want to think about what words are directing our lives. What words, whose words are we listening to that is forming us, that is forming those stories, that are, that are influencing the dreams of the life that we could have, that affect our sense of who we are? Whose words are we listening to? What self-talk am I engaging in? For any of us that have struggled with mental health sort of scenarios, we can get stuck, can't we, of like this negative self-talk, that's like the volume has gone up to 10 in our heads and in our hearts. You're no good. You're no good. It's not worth getting out of bed today. There's nothing good today. Don't even bother. You've got nothing good to contribute to the world. Just just stay home. People will be better off if you're not actually around in, their, you know, in the office today. The lies. And yet they can sound so loud. And that then affects who we think we are and how it is we actually want to go and do life. Whose words are we listening to? Whose words are shaping our internal self talk? That's something that we really want to think about, isn't it? And be intentional about what words we're actually allowing to have that sort of influence in our lives. Because one of the things we also know, second point, is we know that my words can destroy what I have if we're not careful. Have you ever caught, been caught out in a lie or slight untruth? Any one of us who are parents, we've probably had to navigate this with our kids. But certainly, we still have to navigate it with ourselves. Because we find ourselves in situations where sometimes the truth is a painful thing to say. Or we're trying to avoid something. Or we don't know how to confront an issue. And so we sort of fudge it. And then you get caught out. And then you've got that horrible reality of now, I have diminished myself. And I have affected the trust that I had with this person And now I've got to do all of the work of apologising and rebuilding trust because I told a lie. Or we um, get caught in gossip and we find ourselves often out of our own sense of insecurities. We start putting other people down. We slander them. Slander basically is just an old-fashioned word for saying we're putting people down. Mostly so that we feel better about ourselves. We just aren't that honest about it. But we can create habits, can't we, where we just critique other people. I don't know about you, but that's quite easy to do with the people in my family. Because I see them all the time. I see what they're good at, but I also see the things that are really irritating or that they actually aren't very good at. We, we see each other in all our vulnerable places when we're in families. And we have the potential to be really destructive with the things that we say to one another. And often it seems to be the ones that we're closest with, we're the most brutal with. Words can destroy what we have. It can destroy the fabric of our families. It can destroy the fabric of our marriages. It can destroy our children. That is the power of the tongue. Offensive language that we, you know, in the heat of the moment, we say a whole bunch of things to somebody that afterwards we go, oh, my goodness. I wish I could just rewind, take it all back. Tom Wright, who is a theologian, said this. We know only too well from the way that media eagerly trip up politicians and other public figures that one word out of place can ruin a career or bring down a government. One unwise remark reported and circulated on the internet can cause riots on the other side of the world. So, says James, the tongue is like a little world all of its own. A country within a country. The larger area, the person as a whole, may be well governed, but in this smaller region, corruption and wickedness can reign unchecked. This is something, if we're following Jesus, even if we're not, to be honest, I'm, I think it's harder to do if we're not, we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. But for those of us who are following Jesus, this is something we really want to take to heart. We really want to get good at using our words wisely and well. Because otherwise, if we don't check what happens, what comes out of our mouths as well as what comes in, if we don't exercise self-restraint, our words can be weapons that can do harm. And some of that is difficult to repair. The word that James uses for hell, you know, he says, where are we? Let's just go back to that verse again. Uh, uh, the tongue corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, the word that he uses is ghenna, a Greek word, and it's actually referring to a physical place that was on the outskirts of of Jerusalem, um, the Valley of Hinnom, and I probably said that wrong, Hinnom. uh, And it's where they used to burn all their rubbish. And that became a visual reference point for people whenever... Our New Testament writers in that original space, so James's is our probably our earliest New Testament document that we have. He's referring to an actual place that people knew about this place where it was constantly burning with rubbish. And pre Jesus's time, it was a place where they used to practice child sacrifice. So it was a place of death, it was a place of destruction, of decay. It was not a place of life. It was not a place you actually wanted to go and be. Imagine the stench. It's like, it's where all the city's rubbish, everything they didn't want, anything, you know, it was all just chucked out there and burnt. And they say that it would just burn all the time. That's why we sort of have these um, references to, to hell being this place of fire. And so basically what James is saying, garbage in, garbage out. This place of garbage, this place of death and destruction, that's what can fuel the tongue. If we take garbage into our minds and into our hearts and souls, then that is what's going to come out of our mouths. And that can destroy what we have. you all right? It's all a bit sober, isn't it? Last one, this is kind of, these are the, oh, this is really tough. And then we look at the, what do we do about it? All right, just one more. Hang in with me. Here's the thing about this, the stuff that's come out, can come out of us, the garbage in, garbage out, words will reveal my heart. Oh, and if you want to know the state of your heart, just listen to what comes out of your mouth, especially when you're tired or angry or stressed, or not well, or under pressure. That's when we get a glimpse of what's actually growing in here. James, uh, earlier in the letter, in chapter 1, verse 26, he actually says that our ability to tame the tongue, to be able to exercise restraint about what we say, is is an indicator of our spiritual maturity. That's how significant he would say that this is in our lives. But the real problem isn't our tongue. It's our heart. Because that's where this is coming from. It's all of what's going in here. Uh, The tongue betrays the world that is in one's heart. It is a microcosm of the inner self. And this gives us a, a glimpse into see what that is. I love that. I mean, that's, that's an incredibly challenging thing because I know that the things that come out of my mouth, sometimes it's actually not even the words, it's the tone. Anybody? Just me? You know, like I, I, can, I made a decision a long time ago that I wouldn't swear, like decades ago. So it's not usually like I'm using offensive language, but I can cut things with a knife, like with the tone. So it's kind of it's all of what's coming out of our mouths, and I love that James gives us this this um, example of a man that so took this to heart, so took all of these things into his life, and so lived into this that when they were killing him. He responded in the most incredible way. So the members of the Sanhedrin, which were the, like religious leaders, and those that in every city they had this um, this council that would make decisions about things, and so the members of the Sanhedrin tricked James into coming up to the temple to address people because they were concerned about them getting a bit carried away about this Jesus guy, who was James's half brother, and and all these people were saying, you know all these great things about Jesus and the Sanhedrin were not happy about that. And so they wanted James to come and just put them in their place. Because the thing was, is James had grown up with Jesus, but he didn't actually come to faith until after Jesus had died and was resurrected. So he had had quite a long time of just standing on the sidelines, watching, going, just not too sure about that. However, he became so convinced that his half-brother was the son of God who died and rose again so that people would be able to have access to God, so that they would have forgiveness of sins, so that they could live whole and healed lives that he gave the rest of his life to preaching that message, which he did when they put him up on the heights of the temple. They were not impressed, so they pushed him off. And even when he fell to the ground, this is what was said by someone who was a contemporary historian at the time with a name I can't pronounce. No, I'm not going to even try. It's bad. Anyway, this is what he says. They threw down the just man. His uh, nickname was James the Just because he was so kind and fought for justice all of the time. So they threw down this just man and they began to stone him for he was not killed by the fall. But he turned and kneeled down and said, I beseech thee, Lord God, our father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That's what came out of James's mouth and out of his heart at a time of intense pressure. Lord, let it be so in mine. Wouldn't that be a prayer? God, that when we're under the most intense pressure, that the things that you have formed in our hearts would overflow in words of such beauty and kindness and hope and forgiveness. That's what he's inviting us into, and that's what he lived and modelled for us. So it can be done. So what are we to do? Okie doke This was the quite heavy part, with all of the (laughs) moments, and now it's like, okay, and now what we can do about that. First and foremost, we allow God to change our hearts, because this is where it all stems from. It's what's going on in here. There is only one solution. And if, as James says earlier, that no human being can tame the tongue, then obviously we all need help. We all need someone outside of ourselves to help us tame this thing by changing our hearts. And that is the person of Jesus. That is who we need. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit within us that he transforms our hearts and that will transform our language and our words. In Hebrews 10, 8, sorry, 10 and 11, it says this, because this is what God promises us he will do if we give him access to our hearts. This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. We get to choose over and over and over again to surrender afresh to Him, to allow Him access to our heart. Now, I know I've been following the Lord for a long time, over 30 years now, and it is a choice. There, I, I can withhold parts of myself for whatever reason. There's lots of reasons we do that. And yet, gradually, 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 Decision by decision, day by day, decade by decade, he has got more and more access to more and more of me. And ask the people who have walked with me through all of those years, that has made a difference. He has changed my heart. So we can surrender afresh to his work in our lives. Second thing we can do is we can put a filter on what we allow into our hearts. Now, we live in the country, we're in Derry Flat, and we, um, we've got two big tanks that all of the water off of our roof makes its way into these tanks. Now, if you stop and think about all of the things that could make their way into the tank, I've heard possums running ar- across the roof, dread to think what they might do up there. Birds, birds with all of the bits and the fluff and the feathers and other things that birds leave behind. That's on the roof. Dust, pollen, all kinds of stuff. (laughs) Everyone who's ever going to visit my house now is going, I'm not sure I want a glass of water, thank you very much. Um, Good thing, though, we've got a filter. Rest assured, you can all just stop thinking, oh, no, we're never going to visit the lilies. Um, We've got filters right over at the tanks that actually any of that unpleasantness won't make its way from the tank into the pipes, out of the tap and into my glass. We filter all of the rubbish out. We can do that with what we fill ourselves inside. What filter are we using? What good are we filling up in our hearts? Matthew 12, 34, verse 35 says, "...for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man and woman brings good things out of the good that they have stored up inside of themselves. And the evil man or woman brings evil things out of the evil that they have stored up. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. We need to put filters on what is filling our hearts. So this week might be a great time to do an audit, a word audit. What, are you, what good are you filling your heart with? Take an audit of your word diet. Write down, you can, your phone helps you, tells you, all of the things that you've been spending your time looking at for the 68, six to eight hours of your day on your phone. Write down, what it, where, are you, where are you spending your time? What's filling you up? What television programs? What books? What movies? What TikTok? Twitter? Whatever. What are the things that are, what are the words that are filling up your heart? And then hold that up against all of the words that are filling you from Jesus. Worship, scripture, words of encouragement that you might receive, you know, from someone else, prayer. And if there's a bit of a disconnect or things seem a little out of order, then ask God to help you filter out the rubbish. And to fill your heart with good. We have a part to play in that. This is not just God doing this completely apart from us. He partners with us in this thing. And then the last thing is decide to speak words of life. Decide. Make a decision to be that person. We, um, we have a friend, and he, some years ago, decided that he wanted to really major on being an encouraging person. Others, so at the bottom of his emails, you know how um, if you get an email from me, you'll say it'll say Jacinda Lilly, and then underneath, um, pastor slash spiritual director. You know, it's kind of like job job thing that I do. His says his name and then chief encourager. Isn't that cool? And I have well, we have been on the receiving end of his emails, his phone calls, his messages, his com- the conversations. And he genuinely lives, lives into it. And we are the better for it because he has chosen to speak words of life and encouragement. We too can be those people. You know, when uh, Tom Wright again says this, someone, when someone you trust says one or two sentences, a door opens to a whole new world. That's what we can do for each other because we trust each other to speak to us, and we have the ability to open up whole new worlds for one another, to call out the good, to call out the best, to see what God is doing and encourage us in it. When people were describing Jesus' words, um, at one point, the temple guards had been sent to go and arrest him. It was just this particular attempt failed, but they got it right the next time. But when one of the temple guards came back Um, he was being uh, interrogated by the leaders of the temple because he came back empty-handed. And they were like, well, what happened? He said, are you getting sucked in by this guy as well? And this is what he said in John 7, 46. The temple police answered, have you heard the way he talks when they're describing Jesus? Have you heard the way he talks? We have never heard anyone speak like this man. Just listening to him so struck them that they couldn't do their job even though they knew they would be punished for it. This is the one we follow. This is the one who is at work in our lives. He will give us those words of life. Remember that our words matter and that when people are listening to us, they are impacted by what we say. So what life-giving words can we choose? Words of affection. I love that even Jesus needed this. He was baptized by his cousin John before he even did any ministry. So he hadn't done anything to earn anyone's approval or anything at this point. And as he's coming up out of the water, this is what God said to him. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He hadn't done anything. He was loved. You are loved not for a thing that you've done, just because God made you and he loves you. And I wonder if you need to hear that today. But we can give words of affection. We can speak words of praise. We can speak words of encouragement. The thing with praise is make it real, not empty. And we can kind of tell the difference when we're on the receiving end of that often, can't we? It just, it just lands different. So we want to give genuine encouragement and praise I love in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Paul, when he's encouraging people in terms of this whole what we do with our, our talk, he says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That the words that would come out of our mouths would build other people up according to their needs. Words of healing. Proverbs 15.4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Huh. Isn't that a little bit more hopeful than, the, you know, the, some of the stuff we started with? This is, this is the power we have. Words of faith. We can lean into those. So an invitation, a challenge perhaps this week, is what words could you choose to regularly and intentionally give away to others through the week? that would call life out in them. If you're a parent or a teacher or a coach, although teachers are actually all on holiday right now, so they're probably catching their breath, but, or an employer or a friend, one of, the things, one of the pieces of advice I was given early on when I was learning how to lead, which has stuck with me ever since, is that I was told, as a leader, your whisper is heard as a shout. Your whisper is heard as a shout which is a pretty sobering thing, and you certainly don't get that right all the time. However, it made me realise all of us actually lead in some way because we have influence in somebody else's life. That's what leadership is. So all of us have the potential to shout words of life into the lives of the ones that we lead and influence. Isn't that cool? We could choose to be that sort of people. So just to recap... This is what we can do. We can allow God to change our hearts. We can put a filter on what we allow into our hearts and what we fill ourselves up to, and then we can decide to speak words of life. Is that seriously the time? How did that happen? Okay, I went long. Actually, I started late, and I went a bit long. <laughs> Rain in the words, Jacinda Lily. Okay. But here is what I felt like um, God might want to do for us this morning. So I actually think there are some words of life that he wants to give to people. And I know that the kids are going to come, some of them are going to come back. Parents, you're going to need to go get your kids. But, but I had asked a few people just if they would um, listen to God in case that he might have some specific words of encouragement and hope and life to share with us. If any of those people do have something, could I ask you to come and share them? But let's make it very succinct and to the point. thanks so much for joining us for today's message we hope and pray that it's been most helpful if you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services online services various resources and activities enjoy the day be blessed